Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Sermon text today is our gospel reading from Matthew 3. Here again, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. I'm sure you've probably heard some of the persistent and rather widespread stereotypes that swirl around the millennial generation. Said that they can't... experiences and events much more than stuff. And that last one especially interests me, the claim that they would rather do things than accumulate things. I've seen some evidence of that to support that idea in my own family. You see, we've all been taught not to believe stereotypes, and it does seem that they don't spring from thin air. If we took a survey of all of you here, I'm willing to bet we could find a pretty tight correlation, I'm assuming, between age levels and an appreciation for avocados on toast. Some of you have probably never heard of it. Personally, I kind of like it, but I'm not a millennial. There are no doubt some general differences between millennials and between boomers, just as there are certainly differences between the English and Americans and while between Texans and New Englanders, for that matter. But still, as much as we might like to make sweeping claims about generational and cultural differences, the truth is I've lived and studied long enough to have grown increasingly skeptical of the extent and the importance of those supposed differences. It seems to me that on the whole, people are basically people with wiring and programming deep inside that is fundamentally the same in every single one of them. While not all generations may love avocados on toast, all people certainly want purpose and work that make their lives meaningful. And they all crave authentic connections to shared human realities that bind them to other people. They all yearn for relationships that count and they want to make memories that matter. These things are true of all people, regardless of their age, their nationality, or their culture. And these common things, I believe, have always been true. They're as true today as they were 2,000 years ago. In fact, I think it's quite likely that these common basic needs were part of what was driving those people of Jerusalem and Judea out into the wilderness to make that journey to the Jordan River to witness the work of the prophet John. See, John was special. He told it like it was. He was real. Nothing phony or pretentious about him. 
And, and he spoke to the people with hard words that smacked them right between the eyes like a sledgehammer. When they heard him preach, they knew he was right. Every single one of them was a sinner. Every single one of them needed to repent. And so when the earnest prophet offered forgiveness, the people poured into the river to be baptized. How could they refuse? They came in a flood. Matthew reports that all Judea and all the residents of Jerusalem were hiking out to the Jordan and taking the plunge. See, this was not some sort of fringe event for a handful of religious fanatics. It was not happening on the margins only for seriously religious people. It was a populist phenomenon. Everyone was doing it. But why? Why did that crowd gather around the Jordan to listen to John preach such hard words? Were the people all especially spiritual, filled with an intense longing for God's long-promised Messiah, and eager to hear a prophet speak truth? Were they all waiting and hoping for God's kingdom to come? Were they captivated by the pure preaching of John? Maybe. Or maybe the people were just looking for an experience that would make life a little less dreary, a bit more meaningful. Maybe they were only there because everyone else was there and they didn't want to miss out. It could be that John's preaching and John's baptism were nothing more than a welcome remedy, a happy diversion from the monotony and insignificance of ordinary life. It's hard to say why they were there. We're not told about the people's motives. But whatever was motivating them, they came, and they had an experience that they would not forget. They were baptized, and they received what God gave. Forgiveness and the promise of a coming Messiah who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then, while all this was going on, suddenly, he came. The Messiah, long promised by God, appeared right there on the bank of the Jordan. With deliberation and purpose, Jesus had hiked all the way down from Galilee to join that crowd in the Jordan. But what was he doing there? As much as Jesus might have looked like just one more person in the crowd, one more person seeking a meaningful moment, a spiritual connection, or a fresh start, Jesus was utterly different. Everyone else was there to confess their sins, to be baptized and forgiven. Jesus didn't need to repent. He had no sins to confess. Jesus didn't need to hear John's promise of a Messiah. He was the Messiah. Jesus didn't need the camaraderie of the crowd. His strength and encouragement, all he needed, came straight from God himself. So what was Jesus doing there? Unlike everyone else at the river, Jesus had not come there for himself. He did not come to fill a void, to answer a deep question, to satisfy a need, or to find meaning in his life. 
He came to do God's will. He came to carry out the mission. He came to fulfill the Father's plan. Jesus' baptism, you see, was the beginning. Remember, Messiah means anointed one. Like prophets, priests, and kings before him, Jesus was also anointed for his special work. John anointed him in the Jordan. And from this moment of his anointing in the river, his days as carpenter were done. Now, from this day forward, he would be Jesus the rabbi. And that's what John and everyone else would see. What they could not see was that also from this moment, Jesus was the Messiah actively pursuing the path that his father had prepared for him, the path that led to the cross. The apostle Peter tells us bluntly that Jesus bore our sin in his body on the cross. And Paul tells us that God actually made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. You see, Jesus took your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world to the cross. You know that. But he was also already carrying those sins long before he got to Calvary. To be the Messiah was to be the sin bearer. In the Jordan, Jesus was anointed as the Messiah. In the Jordan, he accepted the yoke, the burden. He took on the weight of the Father's mission. In the Jordan, Jesus shouldered the sins of all people. And that's the deciding difference between Jesus and the crowd. Every other person stepped into the Jordan as a sinner and came out forgiven and freed. Jesus stepped into the river pure and sinless and came out carrying the full weight of the sins of the world. He carried them every day all the way to the cross. And that's why the Father was well pleased with his Son. And that's why the Holy Spirit came to empower and support Jesus for the hard work of carrying that burden up out of the river and throughout his ministry. Jesus did what the Father sent him to do. Jesus fulfilled the Father's plan to save his creation. Now, all this means that in many ways, the baptism of Jesus and the baptized, baptism of Christians have virtually nothing in common. Sinless Jesus was baptized as the sin-bearing Savior, while sinful people are baptized to be saved from their sins. And yet, despite the great differences, the bond is absolute. Christians are baptized into Christ. And so in baptism, Christians are joined to the one who perfectly fulfilled the Father's plan. They are joined to the one who redeemed and restored creation. The one who redeemed and restored you. You are inextricably bound to Jesus through your baptism. The one who was anointed has anointed and claimed you. You are his. You belong to him. He is your savior. He is your Lord. 
Understand this. Jesus is not one more experience for you to savor. Jesus is not another event you can schedule to add a little more meaning to your life. Jesus did not carry your sin and was not nailed to the cross so that your life can be spiritually rich and meaningful. No, it's not the point. Jesus fulfilled the Father's will so that he could reclaim and restore the whole creation. He did it to bring God's kingdom. And when you are joined to Christ in baptism, you enter into his kingdom. Everything changes. Jesus is Lord, your Lord. He calls the shots in your life. He tells you how to think about yourself. You are not the center, he is. You are not inherently valuable, self-sufficient, or autonomous. No, you are derived, contingent, and utterly dependent upon your creator. Your life is not about pursuing self-fulfillment. It's about following Christ and fulfilling his purpose for your life. You do not live to increase pleasure and seek joy. You live to seek God's will and to increase his kingdom. Jesus did not do the messianic work of saving the creation so that your life can have amazing spiritual meaning. No, you must never reduce Jesus and his work to a thing to be used for your own benefit. And yet how often do we try to do exactly that? We may not know what was motivating those crowds that made the pilgrimage to the Jordan. But we can certainly wonder about the difference it made in their lives. Of all that huge crowd of people who were baptized in the Jordan, how many actually followed the Messiah that John had preached and promised and pointed out? When Jesus the Messiah finally stumbled onto Calvary at the end of his ministry, who was following him then? How many welcomed the kingdom when it came? And how many others weren't that interested or walked away or rejected the Messiah altogether because he taught things that were too hard, too demanding, too unsettling? Jesus waded into the Jordan to bring God's kingdom. He has called you join him in that kingdom. He was anointed to be your savior and your Lord, not your spiritual cheerleader, your encouraging friend, or your inspirational coach. Jesus did not carry your sin so that you could have a meaningful life. He did not carry the cross to provide you with an occasional spiritual jolt to help you get through a hard time, to supercharge your productivity, or to center your self-awareness. Jesus came make you part of his people. He came to bring you into his eternal kingdom. So you see, Jesus is not a spiritual novelty or a motivational experience to be used as you choose to enhance your life. Jesus is Lord. His church is not a place that you come to get recharged for another week of work or pumped up for the challenges that you face. The church is not a spiritual gym that you Join to take care of your inner spiritual self. Christ's church is where you are bound 
more tightly into his kingdom. And you are made more completely one of his people. The church is not here to cater to your needs or to provide you with spiritual enrichment. Being part of Christ's church is not like signing up for a class on mindfulness. Now the church is here to form you into the person God created you to be. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to save you from your sin and failure, to remake you as God's child, to restore you God's perfect plan. It's not about what you get out of it. It's not about your experience. It's about Jesus, your Savior, your Lord. It's about being joined to Him, following Him, and living in His kingdom forever. There's nothing wrong, of course, with valuing experiences and working to make special memories. About that, millennials are right. Concerts, baseball games, backpacking trips to the mountains, a nice dinner out, or a carefully planned dream vacation can all be good things. Nothing wrong with enjoying what God has given in his good creation. But Jesus and his church must never be added to that list of nice things and reduced to being merely another experience or life enhancement. Jesus is life. He is grace itself. His church delivers that grace and the goods of God's kingdom and shapes God's people. It's here to shape you. Christ and his church are not experiences to be enjoyed or tools to be used. They are life. They are your life. Absolute and all-encompassing. Living in the reality of Christ and his kingdom transcends and blows away any experience that you'll ever have at a concert or a game or on vacation or even in a river or a church. Living in the reality of the Messiah crucified and risen for you doesn't make life better. It is life. Jesus does not give you the ultimate experience. He gives you something far more important. He gives you life in his kingdom. Kingdom never ends. Amen.